in life, there's going to be some suffering. It's a fact of life. It, suffering is not an elective in this life. It's, it's a required course. What happens a lot of times, we're human, is when a problem and a trial comes, we just get our eyes on the problem and the trial and the circumstance. And, and, and Satan can use that to hijack God's purposes. The devil wants to use problems to defeat us. But God wants to use problems to develop us. We don't rejoice for the trial, but we rejoice in the trial. During the trial, it's my choice to rejoice. And when you do, you will begin to profit from your problems. Good morning, everyone. If you will, take out your Bibles. Turn to James chapter 1 this morning. We're going to continue our study in the book of James called How Faith Works i got to be honest with you, I'm pretty excited about today. I think we have a little game going on this afternoon. Anybody excited about that? Absolutely. Uh, I'm excited about what God's doing in this church more than anything. It's amazing what's going on at Orchard Church, the growth that's happened every week, someone coming to know Christ. It's an awesome experience to be a part of this church. You know, last week we baptized, or I think it was two weeks ago, we baptized 23 people. 23 people. 23 people. Amazing. Amazing. We have small groups that are launching this week, and we've had, we have had the most successful small group launch that we've ever had, close to 400 adults in small group this semester. We're excited about that. Yeah, let's celebrate that. And this year marks my 15-year wedding anniversary this year. Yeah. I got to be honest with you, if you don't know my wife... That's a huge accomplishment for me. Huge. If you do know my wife, you understand this, that she would marry a guy like me. Not only should she marry me, but stay married to me for 15 years. It's pretty incredible, to be honest with you. I'm pretty proud of that. It's pretty, pretty good. I've, I've, really, uh, I've really pulled a fast one on her, so that's good. You know, there's things I know I do that drive my wife crazy. And yeah, I heard an amen from a wife out there. And I'm sure that there are husbands in this room that do things that drive their wives crazy. Ladies, can I get an amen? amen. Easy, ladies, easy. <laughs> Leave the toilet seat up. God forbid, people, if I would go to the kitchen with a dish and put it in the sink and not put it in the dishwasher. God forbid. Pray for me if I ever do that. It's bad news. But I got to be honest with you, the, as much as I probably drive my wife crazy, there's things that she does that drives me crazy sometimes. For, for instance, <laughs> for instance, I get in the car and I turn to her and I ask her a question that lights a fuse that leads to a very explosive conversation at times. And that question is this, where do you want to go eat? Where do you want to go eat? Sounds simple, right? We're hungry. We're going to go somewhere to eat. We just need to pick a place. Simple, right? No, not simple at all. Very complex. And I, and I ask her that question, and you know what she says to me? Wherever you want to go. <laughs> so what do I do? I tell her where I want to go, and what does she say? <laughs> no. 
And on and on we go. And I'm getting hungrier. And when I get hungrier, I get grumpier. It's explosive. There's a video meme that's been going around social media that really sums it up. What do you want? It's not that simple. What do you want? What do you want? Any other husbands feel like that at times? Just raise your hand. Yeah. Bunch of chickens. Bunch of chickens. Life is full of decisions, things we have to do to make up our mind. Series of choices. Life is a series of choices that construct this thing called life every day. Frank Borum said this, we make our decisions and then our decisions make us. In your notes, uh, I've got this for you. This will be on the screen. The quality of your life, the quality of your life will be determined by the kind of decisions you make in life. Some we're going to regret. Some we're going to feel good, good about. Some not so much. There, there was a young businessman that went to a, a successful executive one week, and he asked the executive, what's the secret to your success? The, the executive said, good decisions. So the young man said, well, how do you make good decisions? He said, experience. Well, how do you get experience? Making dumb decisions. (laughs) Making dumb decisions. You know, and because we're human, we we make good decisions. We make dumb decisions. Uh, Maybe we wait too long. Maybe we pay too much. We say something very stupid at times. And all of us have decisions in front of us, even this week, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, we don't even know about. But we're going to have to make up our mind and make a decision. Last week, uh, we talked about problems and profiting from our problems and our trials. James taught us that in the first part of chapter one. And this week, in the midst of those problems, in the context of that, uh, we're gonna, James is going to show us how to mature as Christians, as believers, in making decisions, making choices, making up our mind. So let's look at the passage today. We're going to start off in verses five through eight in chapter one, James chapter one, verse five through eight. It says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Verse eight says, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And James is going to show us a few things here in chapter one today about making decisions. He's going to show us the problem, the prescription, and the promise. And number one is the problem. He's going to point out the problem. And the problem is indecision. Indecision. James talks about this double-minded man in verse eight. He's double-minded, unstable in all His ways. Now, double-minded in the Greek means two-souled. It means divided. It means pulled apart in different directions. Maybe divided in your priorities. Some people struggle with that. Do I say yes when I should say no? And their priorities are out of whack. Their schedule is out of whack, and it messes up their whole week just because they're divided in their priorities. Some people are divided in their loyalties. I'm big on loyalty. And when you're loyal, you have to pick a side. I mean, you have to make up your mind. You have to make a decision. I've said this to people about loyalty. Meet someone that's loyal to everyone, and that's someone who's loyal to no one. Divided, double-minded in our loyalties. 
We're excited. The Durbins are excited to live here in Denver, a sports town, a sports town. And this is Bronco Nation, which we have come to find out. This is Bronco Nation. We got a big game today. Big game. Are we going to get some revenge today, I guess is the question. Exact some revenge on those nasty Seahawks. And if I, and if I stood up here today and said, you know, I'm a little divided right now, a little undecided. I, I want the Broncos to win, but man, we got killed in the Super Bowl. I'm sorry to bring that up, everyone. But I'm just not sure what's going to happen today. So here's what I'm going to do. I'll, I'll make my decision at halftime today, okay? Make my, I might get beat up in the parking lot after church for saying such a thing and meaning such a thing. That's double-mindedness. That's being divided in my loyalties. That double-mindedness, it can be devastating to your life, debilitating to your life, and it makes you unstable. Many times in the Bible, this idea of double-mindedness is translated to confusion. It often will be used to, to describe like a drunk person, you know, staggering and, and unstable in all his ways. And James is saying in verse 8, if you can't make up your mind, then you'll be unstable in life. If you can't make up your mind, if you can't be decisive, you'll be unstable in all your ways. There will be constant turmoil in your life. That's what indecision does. It's the problem that James is pointing out. So let me give you three ways in your notes this morning, three ways indecision makes you unstable. Number one is unstable emotions. Unstable emotions. It's a big strain on your emotions when you can't decide, when you're indecisive, when you're double-minded, when you're divided. It's a strain on your emotions. It makes you unstable. You, you, it makes you worried. It makes you confused. You can't eat. You can't sleep. Did you make the right decision? That's that double-mindedness. That's the indecision does to people. A guy goes to a psychiatrist. The psychiatrist asks him, are you indecisive? The guy says, well, yes and no. <laughs> you know, Will James said this, the most miserable person in the world is the person who is constantly indecisive. Indecisive. That's the problem. And our emotions get all jacked up because we're indecisive. We're double-minded. We can't make up our mind, we're unstable in our emotions. That's what indecision does, number one. And number two, it gives us unstable relationships. Unstable relationships. How many would agree that lack of commitment destroys marriages? Anybody agree with that? Lack of commitment. It, marriage is hard work. Can I get an amen, married people? Amen. It's hard work, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And we have to decide, are we in or are we out? It's hard work. Are we going to put in the work or are we not? In our parenting, we can be unstable if we're not careful. If we're indecisive, we say one thing, we do another. It, it teaches our kids instability and messes up those relationships. So number two is unstable relationships. It gives, it gives us problems in our emotions and our relationships and then number three, unstable faith. Unstable faith. In verse six, James says, but let him ask in what, church? Faith. 
It takes faith. We're indecisive and not making up our mind and double-minded and divided. We're going to have unstable faith. And we have to remember the context of what we're reading today. Last week, we talked about problems and trials in verse 2 through 4. And we're still in that context. James is saying, when problems come up, when trials, he didn't, remember he says, it's not if problems come, but when problems come, are we going to be stable? You know, are we going to be decisive? Are we going to make up our mind that we trust God? Unstable faith. It's, it's all about the fact that you just can't make up your mind whether you're going to trust God or not. We sang about that this morning. Some strong lyrics. Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. Well, that's some strong lyrics if we truly, truly live that out. And unstable and being unstable and being indecisive, it can, it can make us do two, one of two things in our faith. It can either make us worry or worship. You know, that's the choice we have. When we're indecisive, we're going to be worrying more than we're going to be worshiping God. We're going to be panicking instead of praying. That's what, that's what indecisiveness does to us. It makes us unstable. And double-mindedness causes instability, James says, in all of our ways. So it gives us unstable emotions, unstable relationships, and unstable faith. And that is the problem, everyone. That's the problem that James points out. But fortunately for us, James points out the problem, but he also gives us, number two, is the prescription. The prescription. You know, when you're not feeling good, you go to the doctor, and, and the doctor looks at you and checks you out. And what, if, what would happen if you just went to the doctor and the doctor looked at you and said, you're sick. You can pay on your way out. That would be a bummer. <laughs> no, the doctor's going to give us a solution. He's going to give us guidance. He's going to give us a prescription. And God's prescription is, number two, is wisdom. 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 Now, first we have to ask the question, what is Wisdom. What is wisdom? We, we need to understand that wisdom is different than knowledge. It's different than knowledge. Wisdom is being able to apply what you already know. Uh, the commentator Warren Wiersbe said something. I read it many years ago, and it stuck with me. He said, knowledge is the ability to break things apart, but only with wisdom can you put things together. That's wisdom. And the world will be impressed, and, and, and people in your life will be impressed with your knowledge. They'll be impressed with that, and what you can spout out and what you've learned. But God is pleased with wisdom. He's pleased with wisdom. And verses 5 through 6, we're going to read here in a second, gives us one of the greatest promises in all of the Bible. James tells us to get wisdom. That's the prescription. So let me give you three practical steps that James kind of gives us to get wisdom. Number one is admit. Admit. We've got to admit. Verse five at the beginning says, if any of you lacks wisdom, now I stop right there and I think, and some of you may have picked up on this, but I sense a little tone of sarcasm with James in the scripture, in this verse, because he's like, you know, if anyone lacks wisdom, if any of you doesn't have it all figured out. If any of you don't have any problems, then get wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, can I let everybody know something? We all lack wisdom. 
And the reason we lack wisdom is because too often we don't admit that we need it. Too many times we have the mentality of going, I've got it all figured out. We need to, we need to say things more often like, I was wrong. We need to say, say more often things like, I don't know, or I need help. That's admitting that we are lacking wisdom. And instead of admitting that we need wisdom, too often we're like, I got it. I got it, God. I, I can figure this out. I don't need your wisdom. I don't need it. But we've got to admit, and that's what James says, first of all, admit. And then number two is ask. Simply ask. Let's look at verse five again. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of Facebook. No. Let him ask of the television. No. Let him ask of the magazine. No. He says, let him ask of who, church? God. We've got to admit it that we need wisdom. That's, that's a big step. Number two, we've got to ask. We've got to ask. We need to ask of God because wisdom, everybody, listen, wisdom comes from God. It comes from God. And he gives us this amazing promise that if we ask, he'll give it. Proverbs uh, chapter 2, verse 6 says this, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And this is the Lord that we serve today. This is the Lord that we came in and worship today. This is the Lord that we gather together in his name, in his honor. He's the one that wisdom comes from. Now, what, what would happen if God came to you today and said, hey, I'm going to give you one wish. You can ask for one thing. What would you say? Think about that. That's a, tough, that's a tough decision, isn't it? Tough thing to make up your mind about. Well, this happened to somebody in the Old Testament, and his name was not Aladdin. Okay? His name was Solomon. And God came to him and gave him that, that very opportunity. He said, I'll give you one request, one wish. What would you ask for? Ask of anything. And he didn't ask for a magic carpet ride. He said, I want wisdom. Because Solomon was the king of Israel, he was feeling inadequate at what he was doing. And the Bible said that God was so pleased with his request that he gave him wisdom, but he also gave him other things. He gave him wealth, and he gave him a long, amazing, successful life. Because God is pleased with wisdom. What if God came to you today? What if that happened? And he said, request one thing. Ask for one thing. What would we ask? Would it be wisdom? See, the reason we don't have wisdom a lot of times is we don't admit we need it. And we don't even ask for it. We don't ask for wisdom from God. Where wisdom comes from. We need to ask for it, James says. You know, as church leaders, this is huge in our life. Every week we meet on Tuesday morning. Every Tuesday morning we start off every meeting praying. Asking God for things. And one of those things is wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom through changes. Wisdom through growth. A lot of big decisions have to be made at Orchard Church because of the growth that's happening at Orchard Church. And we need God's wisdom more and more every single day. Next week, I'm stoked about night of worship. Next Sunday night, 6 o'clock. But the other thing I'm stoked about is in that night, you probably may have noticed it in your newsletter, we're going to be having a business meeting, a church business meeting. We're going to talk about acquisition of land 
next Sunday night. And you want to be there. Exciting news happening next Sunday night. Stuff we've been praying about. Stuff we've been asking God for wisdom for. We need to admit that we need wisdom. That's, that's key. We need to, and, and then we need to ask God where wisdom comes from. So admit, ask, and then number three is anticipate. 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 Let's look at verse six. We need to ask God for wisdom. We need to admit, admit we need it. We need to ask him. And then verse six says, but let him ask in faith. With no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. You know what James is saying here? When you ask God for wisdom, expect it. Anticipate it. Know that he will give it. It comes from him. Anticipate it. It's kind of like I I have two two children. I've got a 10-year-old boy and a 6-year-old girl, and they're in fifth in first grade, as they're showing you on that picture right there, and Josh is, uh, we call him my mini-me. He's, uh, he's a lot like me, and we have fun. And then Jade is missing her two front teeth right now, and I hope they never grow back because it's way too cute right now. Um, but it'd be kind of like if I went to them and I'm taking them to school. I'm like, hey, after school, I'm going to pick you up, and I'm going to go, go get some ice cream today. And then later, I pick them up from school. They get in the car. Guess what they're going to be anticipating? Ice cream, ice cream. They're going to be expecting that. They're going to be excited about it because I told them I'm going to get them ice cream. Now, fortunately, they're not in here right now because I don't do that a whole lot. They probably would call me out on that today. But if they hear this, I'll probably have to do that this week. They're anticipating that. The new iPhone just came out. Long lines of people anticipating, expecting this life-changing device in, in their life, you know, waiting for that. They're anticipating it. You know, we admit we need wisdom, and we ask God for wisdom, but do we truly expect it? Do we truly anticipate it? Do we truly believe that God will give it to us in faith with no doubting, as James said? Hebrews 11, verse 6, very important passage we need to always remember. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must, what's the next word? believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. If you want wisdom from God, you have to believe in advance, anticipate it, expect it in advance that God will give it. That is how faith works, everyone. That's how faith works. So we know the problem, which is indecision, and James has given us the prescription, which is wisdom, but number three is the promise. The promise and that is provision. Provision. The promise. In verse 5, it says that if we lack wisdom, we ask of God. And it says, the God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm glad that I serve a giving God. I'm glad I, I serve a God who gives. And I'm also glad I serve the God who gives, whose resources are unlimited. They're unlimited. He's the great provider. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, a beautiful verse says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I'm so glad that that word his is there. And not my riches. 
I'm glad it doesn't say your riches because I don't know about you, but my riches are not unlimited. You understand? God will supply all of our needs if we ask according to his riches, the great provider, a great promise. And our God is a great model for giving. A great model for giving. If we want to be like God, we've got to become giving people. To be like God. James says that he's the God who gives liberally, generously. We've got to be that kind of giver cheerfully because we give because God gives. And after James leads us through this idea of being decisive and pursuing his wisdom in verse 5 through 8, he lands on verse 9 through 11 with a surprising topic. And that topic is money. Money. Now, why? After all that we just read and went through on decision-making, do we land on money? Because here's what I think. I think because more people make bad decisions about their finances and money than anything else. We're double-minded, we're divided, we're unstable in our ways about our dollars. A lot. It's a problem. And we have to remember that James is talking to Christians, talking to Messianic Jews, believers in Jesus. And here we are, the New Testament church, still talking to Christians about the same exact stuff. It's still a problem today. So let's, let's check this out, verse 9 through 11, what James has to say. He says this, But let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. You know what James is saying here? Very simply, everybody. Whether you're rich or whether you're poor, earthly wealth is temporary. It's temporary. When we meet our maker one day, it's not going to be about what we got. It's going to be about, did we give? What did we give? You know, we have Christmas shoeboxes still available. And I say that kind of disappointed. We need to, as a church, rise up. We do not need to leave today with shoeboxes on the table. We need to be blessings to children in Haiti and Mexico and the Philippines. Amen, church? We need to be giving people. We need to be like God. And we, you know what else? We need to trust in his promise. Trust in his provision. That's what makes us givers more than anything else. And Jesus knew this in Matthew 6, verse 24. It'll be on the screen. It says, no one, he said, no one can serve two masters. That's being double-minded. That's being divided. It's being unstable. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other. Or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot be idolatrous. You cannot worship God and money at the same time. You're going to be divided. You're going to be double-minded. Unstable. In all of our ways. And what Jesus is saying is simply what we're saying today. Make up your mind. Make up your mind. Make a decision. Be decisive. And trust in God's promise. 
Go all the way with it. Trust in his wisdom. Trust in his provision. And a lot of times we get hung up on this whole thing of money and giving and holding on to things. When it's all temporary. It's all temporary. You know, it's always tough for pastors to get in front of a congregation and talk about giving and tithing. But one thing I learned from a pastor a long time ago, he said, there's nothing wrong with the idea of tithing. That's not the problem. There's nothing wrong with it. What's wrong is our implementation of it. We don't follow through. We don't trust God. We don't trust in his provision. That's the problem. It's our heart. When we sing songs like, here's my heart, here's my life, are we holding anything back? Or are we giving all of ourselves to God? And when we give all of ourselves to God, what that means is we're trusting in his promise. That he is faithful. That he will provide. I said this at the beginning of the message. The quality of your life will be determined by the kind of decisions you make in life. So we know the problem is indecision. Being double-minded. Indecision. And we know the prescription is going after God's wisdom, and we know his promise is all about provision and trusting in that. But I think probably some of us are sitting here going, okay, I get it. That's my heart, and I want to be that person. I want to make up my mind, and I want to trust God. But what about the big question of, am I truly trusting God's wisdom, or is it just my opinion? That's a tough, tough thing. So I want to give you just two quick takeaways today, just two quick ones that I think will really help you about whether it's God's wisdom or our opinion. Number one is God's wisdom is found in God's word. God's wisdom is found in God's word. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word is guiding. It's a lamp to our feet and it's a light to our path. It's guiding. I love what Pastor Rick Warren said about this passage. He said this, the Bible says that God's word is a lamp to my feet. It gives me guidance. It's not a high beam that shows me everything that's going to happen in my life in the next 20 years. God doesn't want you to know that. He wants you to take life one day at a time. His word is one step at a time. He lights the path. He says, I'll give you wisdom for the next step. As you take that step in faith, your way is lit. I can't tell you how many times I've been in the midst of a decision. And God's word gave me just the right answer at just the right time. God's wisdom is found in God's word. That's really important, number one. It's found in his word. And number two, God's wisdom is found in prayer. It's found in prayer. There's a huge church in Chicago, about 20,000 attenders every weekend. And they got to a point several years ago where they were concerned about their people's spiritual growth. Are our people really truly growing and maturing in their personal life? We've got all these people coming, but are they growing? So they did a survey and they asked the question, are you growing? And they, they looked at it and they, and they found out in a very disappointing way, that most, the majority of the people were not growing. They were not maturing in their faith, even though they had all these people. And then they had the minority of people who were growing, so they go to those people and they say, what are you doing? What are you doing? What is helping you grow? 
And the common denominator with all of these people was this. They were in their Bible every day, and they prayed every day. And some of you are, like, sitting there going, Gary, (laughs) I already knew that before I walked in, that we need to be in our Bible and praying. We all know that, but we don't all do that. It's not about knowing what to do. It's about doing the right thing. That's what brings growth. That is wisdom, everyone. We can know to do the right thing, but the Bible says if we don't do it, then it's sin. So being in our word every day is a very, very elementary thing. It's a very simple thing. Praying to God every day is a very simple elementary thing. Here's the problem. Most Christians, statistics tell us, don't do it. They're not in their word. They're not praying to God. They're not in communication with God every day, and it's the key to your spiritual growth. We're really good about doing everything else. We have built a wonderful Christian culture. We've got movies, we've got music, we've got bookstores, and we've got books, but we skip the main thing too often. It's opening up God's word, his promises, taking them in, the word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we skip it. And we neglect getting on our knees and our face before God and talking to him every day. Verse 5 says, if we want wisdom, that we need to ask God for wisdom. You know what that is? That's prayer. That's talking to God. That's asking him for wisdom. And it's so very important if we're going to have wisdom, that we have a prayer life, that we're talking to God to make these decisions because all wisdom comes from him. Uh, I haven't been at Orchard Church since its inception, but I feel like I've been with Orchard Church since its inception. Uh, Doug was my youth pastor 20 years ago. We've known each other and kept in touch all those years. And I remember he called me in Florida. I was at a church in 2005, and he said, hey, I'm planting a church in Denver. I'm like, that's awesome. That's cool. And, and he kind of told me about it, and he was just starting out in his apartment. And, and then every year, about once a year, either a phone call or an email would happen, and we just kind of stayed in touch, and I got to kind of see the growth pattern of Orchard Church and what God has done here in this church. And then in 2009, things got real. Things got crazy because we were on the phone and just talking about what God is doing in our lives. And he said, hey, maybe one day you'll come out here and lead worship for us. And we kind of laughed about it. And I said, well, you never know. And if you know Doug, in his true fashion, he went, really? <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, let's, let's talk about it. He's okay, well, let's talk. And so we set up a phone call and I got grilled by the leadership. And we, you know, we just, I grilled them. And we went through all this conference calling and, and meetings on the phone. And then it was just, to a point of prayer, you know, like we need to pray and ask God. And my wife and I did that. And then about a, after about a week, uh, Doug called me and said, hey, man, um, I hate to say this, but we just, we just don't feel a peace about this position right now. We've never had a full-time worship arts director. We're just not there. And for whatever reason, God has just not given us the green light. And i got to be honest with you, I was a little bummed. I was kind of pumped up for this whole Denver adventure. So I was like, all right, okay, well, all right. Well, God wants me here in Florida. Fair enough. This is where we'll be, and this is where we'll serve God. And um, about a year later to the date, seriously, uh, my phone rings, Doug Dameron. 
So I pick it up. I'm like, hello? And he's like, hey, we're at two services now, and we really need somebody, and we're going to be hiring somebody. So we just wanted to check back in with you and see if there's any possibility you would still be interested. So we took a week, me and my wife, to pray about it. And after a week, we came to the conclusion, this is 2010, that we couldn't get a piece about it. We were just like, ah, God has just not given us the green light. For whatever reason, we need to stay right where we're at. And to this day, Doug still feels that was retaliation on my part. (laughs) 2011 comes around a year later. And at this point, I'm not even thinking about Denver, Orchard Church. I think that's, okay, that's that's out the window. That's not going to happen. Well, I got up on a Monday morning one one day. I was in my office, and something hit me in the gut. And that something was God saying, your time is almost up here in Florida. And I'm thinking, okay, I bought a house. I've kind of settled in here. My family is pretty, my, my Josh was just raised here basically. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know what that means. I don't know if I'm done here. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know how I'm going to go or where I'm going to go. So I call my dad. I tell him about it just to get his wisdom and advice and just to vent a little bit. And I'm talking to him, telling him all about it. My phone beeps while I'm talking to my dad. I look down. Guess who? (laughs) Doug Dameron. And before I even picked up the phone, everybody, I knew I was coming here. I knew we were moving from Florida, the beaches of Florida, to the cold Rocky Mountains of Denver, Colorado. We knew that was, I knew that was going to happen. And we got here in January 2012. Why did I tell you all that? Because here's what I want you to understand. God's timing is perfect. It's perfect. His wisdom is perfect. And ours is not. Our wisdom is not perfect. Our timing is not perfect. And when God guides, we need to seek him and we need to decide to truly follow him. When God guides, we need to, we need to decide, make up our mind. And it takes being in his word. It takes Seeking after his wisdom, it takes being in prayer with him and going, what do you want for my life? Not what do I want, but what do you want? What we have to do, church, is we have to make up our mind. We have to make a decision. And we have to quit being indecisive and unstable in all of our ways. And we need to pursue God's wisdom and trust in his promise and his provision. When someone looks at me, They look at me as a Christian. I don't want them to see someone who's double-minded. I want them to see someone who's guided by God. When they look at me, I don't want them to see someone who's divided. I want them to see someone who's decided. Someone who's decided to love God, to serve him, to give him my life. Someone who's decided to follow Jesus. I grew up in church and I sang this song growing up. It's called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. It goes like this. I have decided to follow Jesus. If you know it, sing it with me. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. 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 
We've got to make up our mind. We've got to decide to follow Jesus with no turning back, not being double-minded, not being divided, but trusting his provision, his wisdom. That's how faith truly, truly works, everyone. Let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for its promise and its truth. And Lord, may we make decisions that truly honor you with our whole life. That's our corporate prayer today. Now, some of you today are here and you have decisions in front of you. Some of you are here today and you're at a low point in your life because you've never truly given God your life. You've never truly decided to follow Jesus. You've never truly decided to trust him as your personal and one and only Savior. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. I have good news for you this morning. The Bible says if we ask, if we ask, we pray and ask God to come into our life, that he will heal us and he will save us from all of our sin. If you're here this morning and you're like, man, Gary, I've been fighting it. I know that's exactly what I need to do in my life. That's the one thing I've, that's the one decision I've been fighting. But I give up. I surrender. And today I want to make Jesus my Lord. I want to ask him to save me finally. I want to decide to truly follow Jesus. If that's you this morning, will you just raise your hand? Just say, yeah, that's me. That's me. I've been fighting it. Amen. One, one more. Amen. Well, if that's you this morning, God says all we have to do is ask, and he'll save us. So I'm going to pray this prayer. You can pray it after me from your heart to God's heart in faith this morning. Just pray it like this. Dear Jesus. I'm deciding right now to follow you. I believe you died for me. I believe that you've risen from the grave. I believe that you live forever in eternity. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins and save me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me every head bowed and every eye closed. You want to talk to believers just for a second. You may be here and you've got decisions in front of you. There's some that you see. There's some that you're stressing about. There's some that you're worrying about this morning. Some of you will have decisions that will face you as you leave this doors today. And as we have learned in God's word this morning, we need God's wisdom for that. And if that's you this morning, you say, I need God's wisdom for this week. I need him for today. I need God's wisdom in my decision-making. I don't want to be double-minded. I don't want, don't want to be indecisive. I don't want to be divided. I want to truly focus on God's wisdom, his provision in my life. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand. That's what you're dealing with. Hands all over the place. Let me pray for you this morning. Lord, we ask in faith, we ask of you for your wisdom. And we thank you in advance, God, 
for your wisdom. We thank you in advance for helping us make decisions in our life, Lord, that we don't have the capacity to make on our own. So we, we trust in you. We trust in your promise. We trust in your provision. We trust in your wisdom, Lord. Let us make up our mind. Help us, Lord. Give us faith to continue to follow you, not turning back, but continue to follow only you, God. Help us. Lord, help us this week and today. And all God's people say, amen. Can we celebrate those decisions today? Amen. Well, if you uh, made that decision today to follow Jesus, to make him your savior, we want to know about that. We want to pray for you. We don't want to embarrass you or anything like that. If you'll just check that on your connection card and put it in the offering at bucket as it goes by, we'd appreciate it. And if it's your first time with us, please give us that connection card. We'd like to follow up with you. Well, church, let's stand together. Let's end off this day in responding to God's word with praise and worship, saying Christ is enough. He's enough for me. His wisdom is enough for me. Let's, let's respond to him this morning.